Hey guys, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend, a podcast about mental health and astrology. Have you guys ever had a bad day or felt so anxious to the point where you are struggling to find yourself in this vast society we call life? Not to worry, guys. I have felt this way too. The podcast interviews guests from college students to parents and even experts that talk about their journey to where they are in the present moment. So sit back and relax and remember that you are not alone. Without further ado, let's get started with today's podcast. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Podcash as a collaboration between Racket and Stir. Podcast gave away over $100,000 to up-and-coming podcasters as a way to support insanely creative and inspiring podcasters. We know how difficult it can be to get a podcast off the ground and running, but with Podcash, it's a great way to get cash, and best of all, it's all free for your podcast. So if podcasting has been on your to-do list or you're already a podcaster, Go to podcast.com to stay up to date with future podcast happenings. That's again, podcast.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-H.com. I hope to see your future podcast. Have you guys heard about Anchor by Spotify as being the easiest way to make a podcast? Let me explain. It's free. Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Best of all, when even hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, like I said before, Anchor is totally free. So pick up your phones, laptops, or whatever you use and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I hope to hear your podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode talks about the story of Dr. Julia DeGangi. Dr. Julia is a neuropsychologist who works with leaders, teams, and couples to address pain in their lives. Dr. Julia is an expert in the brain's relationship with stress, resilience, and relationships. So our conversation, we're going to talk a lot about emotional intelligence and how to to develop emotional intelligence. Before becoming a neuropsychologist, Dr. Julia worked in an international humanitarian relief delivering aid in disaster zones, so pretty much areas where a disaster struck. But you can check out all of Dr. Julia's work by checking out her website at www.neurohealthpartners.com. The link will also be in the show description. She also has an upcoming book as well titled From Pain to Progress. So you can check that out as well. The links, again, will be in the show description below. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Julia. 
Hey, everybody, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend. I am your host, Josh Sanchez, and I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Julia Deganji. Dr. Julia, how are you doing today, and what's going on? I am doing very good, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, and and I know we've had a couple conversations beforehand, and I just wanted to say happy belated birthday to you. This is Taurus season, and you are a Taurus, Dr. Julia, and I'm also a Taurus as well. So um, power to you. When when is your birthday? Yeah, so my birthday is actually next week, so May 15th. So we're both Tauruses. I just wanted to highlight that before we really get into it. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you know far more about this. I don't really know too much about this, and maybe you can enlighten me, but absolutely happy birthday to you, and May is a great month. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it, yes, indeed it is. Um, but Dr. Julia, um, before we really get into everything, I know you're an expertise and and a lot when it comes to like the brain and also like developing emotional intelligence and stuff. And this leads me right to my first question. So Dr. Julia, um, for you, like what are some passions that you have and what do you really like to do for work? So I am, let me first tell you what I do, because what I, what I do professionally is very much my identity. In other words, like my work really is who I am. I feel so lucky to have found what I really think is a calling and a vocation for me. So I'm a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. And the way I think about my work, so I've worked in academia for many years. I'm an academic. My work most technically is around the brain and traumatic stress, chronic stress. So basically what happens to our physiology, our neurophysiology, when we're in a lot of pain, the way I talk about my work is I really talk about three things. I talk about your brain. I talk about your leadership and I talk about your emotional intelligence. And the reason I think that this is the most life-changing, mind-blowing, earth-shaking work is that Every one of us on the planet knows that life can be incredibly painful. We all experience loss. We all have our heart broken. We all experience betrayal. We, we have to sit with our own experiences of inadequacy and loneliness and anxiety and fear and depression. To me, I think emotional intelligence, the best definition I can give you of emotional intelligence is who do I become? When the moments of pain invariably come, who do I become in my stress? Who do I become in my suffering? Who do I become in my struggle? That is, there's all these complex definitions of emotional intelligence, right? You have 14 domains of emotional intelligence, the 12 pillars, lots of arrows, lots of quadrants, like, no, none of that. Who do I become in my own emotional abyss is the measure of my power. Right. A lot of times like life does work out for us. Things go well. People agree with us. We get the break. But that's just luck, I think. And it's wonderful. And we all need that. And plenty of people need more of that. But the test of our power only can come when the resistance shows up. Yeah, I I will say, wow, Dr. Julia, like that is a I really like how you really get into it and you really like give a great 
simple, you know, definition when it comes to emotional intelligence, because like you said, there's so many, like, as you're describing your answer, there was a lot of like pillars and there was a lot of stuff. And I also know through like my own experience too, like I've definitely heard of like emotional intelligence has like two different things, you know, and I'm just like, what really is emotional intelligence, which leads me right to my next question. So let's say someone is just trying to develop their emotional intelligence. How would someone develop their emotional intelligence? That's a fantastic question. Okay. So there's a lot of ways that I could take this. So the way to develop emotional intelligence is to really start to ask myself, who do I become in my own emotional abyss? In other words, who do I become when you don't agree with me? Who do I become when all these people around me, they're not doing it my way? Who do I become on my hard days? Who do I become when I don't like the words coming out of your mouth? Now, there's a lot of ways that people can react to these very universal situations. So maybe I'm someone who, if people don't agree with me, I shut down. I don't really show up. I avoid, I retreat. Maybe I'm someone who I I deal with a lot of, I work with a lot of clients. I work with a lot of leaders. I work with a lot of individual patients. All of these, all of these behaviors were obviously formed very early in our life. So a lot of people in their, in their families learned that being right meant that you were lovable. So a lot of us who have that coding, who have that pattern in our brain, we then, when we get into our, when people don't agree with us, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like what you're doing. You're not doing it my way. I maybe double down on that. I can get really self-righteous. I can get really assert, overly assertive, but that is actually, if I want to become more emotionally intelligent, I have to really ask myself the question, who do I become when I'm triggered? So there has to be a real awareness of this. When I get triggered, I shut down. When I, when I get triggered, I get a little bit aggressive. When I get triggered, I start to fawn. I start to people please. I start to overgive. I start to, when I get triggered, I feel like I'm not worthy of rest. So the first step to increase your emotional intelligence is to realize who do I become when I get triggered? And then the second thing, and this is, this is what I think is so glorious about emotional intelligence. It is the single most powerful power you can possess on the planet. Nothing is more important than emotional intelligence. And it's actually quite simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. So when I figure out who do I become when I get triggered, I just have to start figuring out ways how to do the opposite. How do I show up when I really want to shut down? How do I stay in when I really want to leave? Or if I'm somebody who kind of leans forward too much, you know what I'm saying? How do I, how do I pull myself back? How do I breathe? How do I just kind of let others have what they want to say and not think that it's a threat to my very identity? Wow, Dr. Julie, I will say that was another just like really spot on answer. And as I was hearing you describe like how to really like develop emotional intelligence, it's a lot of like self-reflection. You got to really be able to take a step back and realize like, hey, like when I am triggered, you know, this is how I feel. This is what's going on in my body. It's a lot of that like in-depth like self-reflection within yourself. Um, That's what I'm really hearing a lot when it comes to like just beginning and starting out 
and developing that emotional intelligence. Um, now, I know, Dr. Julia, you've been an expert in the field for a very long time. Um, so, like, what are some common themes and common problems that you really get with a lot of your clients that definitely need help with emotional intelligence and understanding themselves? I mean, I would say the number one thing that all this maps onto is you know, nine times out of 10, it, it maps onto fear, right? And so fear, we call fear a lot of different names. We call it anxiety. We call it stress. We call it rejection. We call it, there's a lot of different names, but if you think about what the brain is doing, your ha- your nervous system is having a fear response. So I think the way that the pain shows up is like, there's things that I want in my life And the things that I want in my life are always emotional, right? So a lot of times people will say like, I want to have a better relationship. I want to have more money. I want to have a, I want to get a promotion. I want to get a new phone, whatever. But the only way those things have any value to you is through your emotional systems. In other words, like they have to make you feel something or there's no meaning. Right. So like, why would I want a high, why would I want more money? Well, I would want more money because the feeling is I'm safer. The feeling is I have more freedom. Why do I want to have a, a, you know, a better relationship? Because the feeling is joy. The feeling is connection. So the more we really get into the the, the human emotional systems, the more powerful we become, because that's where all the action is happening anyway. So I think a lot of times this is kind of, it's a little bit of a paradox, but we, the things that we want so much, we want them so much that they make us feel tender and they make us feel vulnerable. So for example, let's say, and maybe you can relate to this, like, you know, I do, you know, you do a lot of podcasting. Like, I think you probably created a podcast because you like to express yourself and you like to connect with people. I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm imagining like you like to have interesting conversations and you like, it's important for you to create and express. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like I, I created this podcast. I really wanted to find a way to connect with people because uh, especially when the pandemic hit and stuff like that social aspect definitely hit, took a big hit a little bit. So yeah, as Dr. Julie, I definitely am agreeing with your assessment so far. So did like, were you ever, or do you ever get nervous to like, or especially at the beginning, was it ever like nerve wracking or anxiety provoking or, or did that not happen for you? Um, definitely for my first podcast. Cause I started podcasting when I was 18. Um, oh, wow. yeah. And it's funny. Um, cause I, I, from, from time to time, I always will go back and check like my old recordings compared to how they were now. And like, yeah, the, the, the first recording I ever did me and my best friend, we were just so nervous. Cause we we're talking about, cause we want it to be good, you know, and, and we don't have like the best tech and the best sound quality so we were like oh man so like you said like that anxiety uh that fear there's a lot of fear there because you didn't want to sound you want to sound good you know because like there was a lot of fear in the beginning if you'll allow me to be so bold the fear i'm not saying the fear is rational but the fear always sounds like fear meaning it wasn't just like you wanted to sound good that's not what fear says fear says you're going to sound stupid People are going to think you're a loser. People are going to think you sound boring. People aren't going to take you seriously, right? That's the frequency of fear. So 
you had these competing desires. There was a part of your emotional brain that said, I really want to do this cool, creative thing with a podcast. And there was another part of your brain that said, this could really be a disaster and I could really embarrass or humiliate myself. You in that moment had emotional power and said, you know what, no matter, even though this is tough and even though I feel awkward, I'm going to push through. And then here you are sounding very professional all these years later, but it's easy for us to get stuck in the fear. But what's interesting about the fear is the fear seems like it's there to protect us, but then the fear invariably blocks us from the very thing that we want. I really, really want to create. I really, really want to express. I really, really want to connect. I want it so bad. I'm terrified that it won't go well. So I know what I'll do. I won't do anything. And then what happens to the emotional system when we don't satisfy our emotional desires is we start to get down. You know, I don't want to use the term depression because I think that obviously that's a very formal clinic, but we start to have this depressive presentation. Like we start to get a little bit numb. We start to feel a little bit uninspired. We start to get down by the monotony. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the reason is because we abandoned ourselves. So we have to, we really, if we want to live an emotionally powerful life, we have to be willing to claim the things we deeply desire. Yeah, Dr. Julia. And I really, I agree with your points um, because I, I definitely think just like adding to your point, like when it comes to trying something new, it's out of like our comfort zone. You know, you don't really know like the exact outcome or the exact possibility if you do try this new thing, you know? So like you said, like we end up freezing and end up not attempting the new thing that we, that our body and our, and our emotional well being needs. Um, so that just leads me right to my next question. So like, how do we prevent that from happening, preventing us from, you know, like stopping ourselves from trying new things or stopping ourselves from taking on new projects because of this overall feeling of fear within our bodies and, and within ourselves? Mm hmm. So let's try this. We can see if, if this is helpful. So let's say I want to make this really clear for you and I want to make it really powerful. So I'm going to show you something and I'm going to, add, and if you don't feel comfortable answering these questions, I can just use it. I can use, you know, I can make up an example, but everyone has a very, very targeted centralized, what I call pain point. Now, all of us universally are walking around with some variation of a feeling that I am somehow fundamentally inadequate. Every person on the planet, it's not to the same degree, but everyone has a feeling like I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, it's very important then that people figure out, I call it their personal brand, their personal brand of inadequacy. So some people's, I call this the root belief. It's the root belief that gives rise to nearly all of the pain in your life. So my maybe my root belief is I'm not good enough. Maybe my root belief is I'm not safe. Maybe mine is no one listens to me. I'm not heard. I can't get what I want. Things don't work out for me. So if you feel comfortable, because I think this could be really powerful, what is your root belief? 
Yeah, that definitely is a a real serious question. Um, and, you and, know, I'm, and if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to oh, make one up. Oh no, 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 no. I'm I'm completely comfortable with sharing. I'm I'm always been a very open person. So, I think for me, especially when it comes to like podcasting in in particular, it's like I feel like at times like my voice is not getting heard. Um, because like I, I have a lot of you know like professional conversations I know a lot when it comes to because I've now I'm in grad school now I'm learning a lot about like what's going on in our minds and our heads and throughout my life a lot like I've there's been a lot of moments where I have expressed how I feel or how I've expressed like my opinions on a certain situation and people don't really take that advice you know and they end up end up doing their own things and end up making the same mistakes over and over and over again so to answer your question I definitely think for me um not me, like not getting my ver- my voice heard enough is definitely something that I've talked to my psychologist about and I'm still am throughout this day. So to answer your question, Dr. Julie, I, I think it, it would be my voice not being heard enough. Okay. Awesome. So that's, first of all, so brave of you to say that. And the other thing I want to say for your listeners is like, I want to normalize this. Like every single, every single person has, that's what it means to be human, right? Like this is what the human experience is. We have pain and power. We have pain and pleasure. We have pain and potential. So yours is, and I want to show you guys how there's a real rhythm to this. I think a lot of times we get into pain in our lives and it just seems so overwhelming, so chaotic. And then we start to feel hopeless. Like we're never going to get out of this abyss. Okay. So I'm going to lay odds to dollars that that feeling I am not heard. So that root belief is very old, that it, that it reminds you of your family of origin. Yeah. Yeah. Accurate? Yeah. Yeah. It is accurate. Uh, both, both my parents, cause, uh, I come from a single parent household and my relationships with both of my parents have always been shaky. They've gotten better over the years as we've gotten older. Um, but especially when I was younger and stuff like my parents, they kind of did what they what they needed, what was best for them. And when it came to their kids, it was like, ah, we had to like adjust and deal with the deal with the consequences of what they were doing. You know, if you get what I'm saying. I do. I do. And so if you think about the child brain, right? So it's, it's spectacular what happens to our brains in years zero through five. Um, So we're, we're so intelligent, but we don't have, we're not able to have conversations. So we're not able to say, Oh, dear mom, I'm really missing you. And I feel like you've been going out too much. And I would really like it if you could make the house more organized and if you could be more attentive. And I really want you to talk me. In. You know, the three-year-old's not doing that, right? But that certainly doesn't mean the three-year-old isn't encoding all of this information about no one's listening to my needs. No one's hearing me. No one's listening. No one's hearing. No one's, right? So there's there's a power part of us. There's a part for most, you know, and obviously these are in different proportions, but in other words, there's a, there's a part we really like about ourselves for most of us. And then there's a part of us that is, it's the vulnerability, it's the challenge. So if we play this out, what this, what tends to happen for people is whatever that root belief is, it shows up everywhere. So I'm not saying this is you, but if I go to Starbucks and they spell my name wrong on the cup and I'm someone who holds the, the root belief I'm not heard. I and I get frustrated if it if, if it doesn't bother me. In other words, if if they, they they spelling my name wrong on the Starbucks cup doesn't hit my emotional system, there's no pain and therefore there's no problem. But if I'm having a day and I'm like, oh, 
Oh, what's what's so hard to spell about my name? The we're not consciously aware of this until you do the work that you and I are talking about. It touches on that raw nerve of I'm not important enough to be heard. If you really knew me, if you really cared about me, if I really mattered, you would spell my name right. Now, the second we start to say that out loud as adults, we get to say like, okay, that's a little bit silly. But I think if we start to do that to ourselves, that's another form of self-abandonment. It's totally okay to say, wow, I don't really want this to be the way I go through life because it's causing me a lot of pain and it's causing a lot of dysfunction in my relationship. But every single time I get frustrated, every single time I get, I'm not kidding. It's 99% of the time. It's because you're activating the root belief of I am unheard. And it's interesting too, right? Like it's not a coincidence if I can be so bold to say, here you are, this brilliant podcaster. So for a lot of us who feel like our voices were taken from us in our childhoods, we become great expressors because a lot of our pain in childhood is actually, I always make this joke that no one in the history of my life has ever come to see me because they keep getting hit in the face repeatedly by a two by four, right? Like if you're getting hit in the face with a two by four, you're just like, that's a hundred percent bad. Stop. The problem's over. The pain is over. Most of the pain in our life, it's both good and bad. Because I wasn't listened to, I now have developed this remarkable ability to express myself on podcasts and write. And so our pain is also our power. And so the real question before us is like, how do we keep moving the needle so we move further and further away from pain and more and more kind of convert that energy into our power? Yeah. And, and I was, that was pretty much just going to be like my next question. Like how I I know, like through me, like what I, what I did in my experiences was just a lot of, again, like you said, like self-reflection in the beginning, reflecting like, Hey, like what's the root when it comes to like this belief that I'm not being heard. Once you understand the roof, I definitely, the root of it, I definitely think that's like a really good first step. Um, And then starting to figure out like passions and stuff that you really like to do. And with me, like podcasting was definitely something that was great. And that really and the reason why would led me to this podcast was because it was more like I want to really help others and be there for others, because I know for myself when I was not getting heard and young, like I know I needed somebody, you know, to just listen and stuff. So that's really much. For me, like that's pretty much my journey. Um, but for anybody else, it's going to be completely different because it's through what you experience and stuff. But for for you, Doctor Julia, like how would you slowly like move that needle that way, like forward? So I think the final phase, because I like to kind of help people move at exponential speed, right? Like how do we take back our power as quickly as possible? I think all of our pain. So there's two forms of pain in our life. One form of pain is pain that gets done to us. So I've, I've worked in trauma for many, many years. So war, natural disaster, assaults, domestic violence, crime. So these are things that when they happen to us, obviously that can create immense trauma. That is one form of pain. But the other form of pain is the pain we inflict upon ourselves. What I mean by this is the one of the, the most painful things to experience as a human being is when I abandon myself, 
One of the most powerful definitions I can give you for emotional pain. So in other words, the times you start to feel anxious, the times you start to feel afraid, the times you start to feel lonely, the times you start to feel unheard, the times you start to feel inadequate is when I, I divide myself from myself. In other words, I really want to speak up, but I keep my mouth shut. I really want to say no, but I say yes. I really want to not go, but I go. I really want to rest, but I overwork. I really want to go left, but I go right. In all of those moments, I have abandoned myself. So the fastest way to take back our power is to figure out what is our root belief. And so in your example, which again is very common, it's I am not heard. Then, this, then I turn the question on myself and I say in a real generous, gentle, tender way, what are the ways I am not hearing myself? I'm not hearing myself because I, I really need to hold a new boundary with my partner. I'm not really hearing myself because I don't, I don't want to have this conversation again. This is like the 50th time I've had this conversation and like, it's not feeling good in my body. I'm not hearing myself because I don't really want to work this job right now. I want to become an entrepreneur, but I, I'm, I'm afraid, but I really want to do this. There's all these ways we don't listen to ourselves, And what happens then is it's a setup for dysfunction in all of your relationships. So this, I do a lot of work with couples. The most common thing, a couple, so when, by the time people come to couples therapy, they're still on some level invested in the relationship, right? Even if you're thinking, okay, we're probably going to get divorced, you know, overwhelmingly people are coming because there's something in the relationship that's potentially worth fixing. So in other words, people care about the relationship. But the number one thing I hear is she's not listening to me. He's not listening to me. She's not listening to me. He's not listening to me. She's not. Well, and so it's like, and then if you ask the person, right, this is a very expedited view, but they're saying, I just need you to do it the way that I want you to do it. I, I want you, I want to. So in other words, I want you to be like this. I want you to talk to me like this. I want you to show up like this. But the problem with that, okay, this is, this is really, really powerful. The problem with that is if I don't know how to listen to myself to begin with, how in the world does it matter if you start listening to me? It doesn't matter. It's like, I'm a cup. I'm a Dunkin' Donuts cup and there's no bottom on the cup, okay? And, and, the, and, the, and the coffee or the water is my ability to hold my own, my own power, my own sense of worth, my own sense of pleasure, my own sense of value, my own sense of everything, peace. Okay, a human being must have water in this cup or the human being cannot be well. This is not up for debate. This is like neuroscience and biology, right? We need to feel like, like we are worthy. So what a lot of us do is no one has a perfectly, a perfectly intact cup. Again, that's what it means to be human. No shame there. But the more holes there are in my cup, the more water runs out of my cup. So what do I do? I tell you, I need you to behave in such a way where you keep all the water in my cup. But then God forbid my partner is distracted by his day or distracted by his own pain or 
on a business trip or wants to watch TV or you see where I'm going with this? And I need, you start to pull your hand away from my cup. I'm going to start to panic. Well, you can't do that because then all the water is going to drain out. The way relationships work a gazillion times better is when I start to say, I'm going to hold my own water. And then, you know, if there's obviously like a tiny little hole and when you're around, it's amazing that you also kind of get to plug a tiny little hole, but it is not a catastrophe. It isn't, I don't feel like I'm being abandoned. This is the way that we heal the world is when we start to say the way that I, cause I think that I think the most elite, gorgeous form of intelligence is relational intelligence. The hardest thing in the world, there's plenty of people who are emotionally intelligent, lone wolves, leave me alone and I'm fine. Okay. So that, and that's great. The hardest thing to do is like, how do I actually operate healthily in a family system in a marital system in a friend system in a community system in a social media system? As long as I need you to hold your hand here, we are all good. Wow, Dr. Julian. And that was, again, such a, such a real powerful answer um, because because uh, we were going to and actually it's a perfect transition because we were going to talk about relationships a little bit, too. Um, but pretty much I love the cup analogy as well with the water, because if we're not able to fill those holes ourselves and we project that onto the relation and our relationships, everything, like you said, is going to spiral. The relationship's not going to work. Your your work is not going to work. It all spirals down and it comes down to, again, like finding out within yourself and reflecting within yourself like what is like the root cause what is going on that is making me like act this way in moments of high stress and moments of trauma and once you're able to find that foundation and to really reflect on yourself and take care of yourself you're the one that's in charge of filling the holes and not the other person so then you can be better in relationships and and so forth with that so well also that the the easy cognitive error and we all do this right is it assumes our partner doesn't have their own cup with holes in it it assumes their their whole function on the planet is to hold their hand on my cup meanwhile like my husband my wife my partner my girlfriend my boyfriend whatever is like what do you mean what do you mean put my hand on your cup you're supposed to be and then it's like you can't make the math on that work you know, it's like asking the universe to divide by zero. You're like, universe, universe, I just need you to divide by zero. And the universe is like, we've gone over this 15 billion times. You can't divide by zero. Like, I know, I know, I know. But how is five divided? You're like, you can't make the math work. And then we spend our whole lives wondering why our relationships don't feel good. Well, it's because I don't feel good inside my own body. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you have me cracking up when it comes to that. Cause I mean, it's really true. Like you can't divide, like I just picture the universe just getting furious and just angry with all of us. You know, it's like, I've shown you the same problem. Like you said, like 50 gazillion times, and you're still going to continue to make the same problem. Like, I don't know what else to do. You know, like I'm just, I'm handing you a layup. You just have to, I'm throwing you the lob. All you have to do is catch it and slam dunk it. And you're not doing it. You're, you're missing. 
Uh, but yeah, so Dr. Julia, again, I, I really say when it comes to this whole conversation, it's been great so far. Um, but just continuing with relationships a little bit um, yeah. for, for yourself. I know you really work on others and you're really there to help other people. For you, Dr. Julia, what are some qualities that you really look for in a friendship and like a romantic partner? Well, that's a great, what a powerful question. What do I look for? So I will say, um, I, 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 you know, I think these aren't going to be that, that novel, which again, just speaks to our, like, our, there's so many things that all of us humans really long for, really wired for. So loyalty. Um, I look for people, you know, I think when you're called into the field of mental health, you're called here, especially to do trauma, very intense trauma work. I think that I'm, I'm very empathic and compassionate and I really try to be authentic. And so I think we like things that are mirrors of us. Um, so I, I, I'm drawn to people who are compassionate and empathic and authentic. And, um, I will say about myself, I like people who talk. I'm a, I'm a natural listener. You might not know that from this conversation, but I like I, I'm a much more natural listener. So I like I love hearing people's stories. And I really like I really like people who want to talk about the fundamental ways that they make their life work and the way they make meaning out of their life. Yeah, Dr. Julia, those are some great qualities to have as well. And I always like to add like a, a important like point that I want to add, especially with relationships like if you if you are doing like the normal self-reflective work and you are working on yourself like the people that you surround yourself with you feed off of each other's energy as well so if you are in a relationship with someone having someone like you said that is that that has those similar qualities that you have that is very empathetic and that way you guys are able to grow and learn from each other instead of you know like one's taking care of the other you know so i definitely that's another point that i really want to add is we really feed off of the energy that we surround ourselves with so surrounding yourself with positive energy and adding to the traits that you do like are some important things to find in a partner so i definitely think you have a lot of good foundations when it comes to that dr julia um, but this question is a little less serious one. Um, I always have my guests that come on and ask this question. So the question pretty much is, so let's say you're on your first date. What are some turnoffs that you have? And while you think about it, um, for me, I used to do this funny little test, especially in like high school and a little bit in undergrad in college until I met my current girlfriend. I would hand whoever I'm on a date with the aux cord because music is spiritual for me. And depending on how they played, like what music they played was like my little test. But for you, Dr. Julia, do you have like any like no like no no boundaries or no no turnoffs that if this person were to do this on a first date, you wouldn't have a second date? That's a great question. Let me yes, there are. Let me see if I can articulate them clearly. So I there's you know how you said like music is like what did you say? It's like religion for you. Yeah, I did. For me, and if this isn't clear, you know, feel free to ask me a question like emotional energy, like. I almost feel like I am an emotion. So I, and I talk a lot about like, like a social rhythm. There's like a, it's like, it, it is like music to me. Like I hear a pitch, I hear, there's like a lot of, there's a rhythm to it. So if people don't kind of understand that energy, and a lot of times on a first date, it looks like, are you able to, is there a given, a give and take in the conversation. So, and that doesn't mean it has to be 50, 50. Like I said, I'm a very, I like, I very much like to listen to people. I 
find people's lives fascinating, but like, do you ask other people questions? Do you reflect genuine interest? Are you really there with people? I think that kind of, again, is this idea that I'm very empathic and I, in my partners and in my friends, like I want to be around people that are also empathic and warm. Definitely as well. And and like I said, in a little bit of the beginning, like surrounding yourself with that, with that energy that you need, you know, and, and once you understand yourself, like you're able to reflect that on the others and you surround yourself with things that you need from other people. Um, and I definitely think Dr. Julia, like that's a great piece of advice and especially in relationships and some, you know, like turnoffs and stuff to have. Um, but just transitioning a little bit, I know we talked a lot about relationships and we had a really great conversation about emotional intelligence and how to develop it. And I really think it's a really powerful conversation. Um, but I always like to end the podcast with some astrology. I know that you mentioned you're not an astrology expert, but I, my first question before we really get into your chart, Dr. Julia, is like, how do you feel about astrology overall? I mean, the truth is, I don't know much about it. So I said, like, I'm going to be a good sport. I'm going to show up. You had me fill out my little chart thing. So I definitely believe in um, in energy. I mean, the brain is quite literally an electrical machine. The body is an electrical machine. Uh, in addition to being a neuropsychologist, I'm also a yoga instructor. So I think about this idea of the, the mind really, I think a better way to say it is the brain body spirit connection. And I think the, I don't know how the universe is communicating with us, but I certainly think like we are a part of nature. And so listen, I'm here, I'm here to have a, I'm here to have a fun conversation. So I'm a good sport. Of course, Dr. Julia. And I always like to start like our first, our first like conversations with just some basic aspects of, of your astrology chart. So pretty much like what this chart is, it's like when you were born and brought into the world, these were the planets and these were how the planets were aligned when you were born. So for you, Dr. Julia, I know we mentioned earlier in our podcast that you are a Taurus and happy belated birthday, by the way. So you're a Taurus son. So pretty much what your sun sign is, it's pretty much who you are to your core. So when a random person asks you like, Hey, like what's your Zodiac sign? If you ever get that question out of the blue, you're a Taurus. So Tauruses are very stubborn because they're, they're the bull, you know? So if you mess with the bull, you mess with what you mess with the horns, you know? Um, but Tauruses are very down to earth. Um, I, I'm a Taurus as well. So very good at sitting back and observing situations. I do that 10 times. I'm always the person that likes to listen to people, you know? Um, so I definitely, I definitely can relate to you when you were explaining that. Um, but that's pretty much who you are to your core. Your moon sign is how you process things emotionally. So you might be a Taurus to your core, but for you, Dr. Julia, your moon is in Pisces. And I definitely think when it comes to like your passion for helping people and really trying to help people understand themselves emotionally, that it, since Pisces is a water sign, water signs are very good with emotions. Um, with water signs, you can either be very emotionally intelligent or you can be the opposite where your emotions take control over you, you know? So for you, Dr. Julia, like you've taken those steps and you've learned a lot of empathy. And I definitely think that's where a lot of the Pisces energy comes from. Um, another part of your chart, um, cause I'm just going to run over the basic, just parts of your yeah, chart and then we'll really get into it. Um, Mercury, that is the planet of communication. So communication styles, some people, they're very, laid back and slower with their communication. Some people are like, all right, like let's, let's get to the point. Let's be blunt and honest. And for you, Dr. Julia, your Mercury is an Aries. So Aries is a fire sign and Aries are very ambitious and 
really just they don't they have they don't have time for like the nonchalantness like let's get straight to the point uh my best friend is in aries and, and he's the one that we mentioned before we recorded uh he whenever it comes to events he's on it he'll tell you the exact date exact time when the show up um so that's your communication style so very like blunt let's get to the point um a lot of passion when it comes to it and through your answers i definitely can feel that passion and that and that fire um, and then your Venus sign, so that's like your love language, so like qualities you're attracted for in a relationship. So for yours, it's in Gemini. So with Gemini, um, Geminis, they're very like social creatures. So for you, it's like Geminis are very intellectually smart individuals. So as I was hearing your qualities and what you want in a relationship, you need to have someone that can have those intellectual deep conversations, someone that is on like that same wavelength as you, because you are very intelligent. You are very emotionally intelligent. So having someone else that is also that and can teach you new things, those are some qualities that you, that you tend to look for when it comes to like romantic partners. And the last one that I really want to highlight. Yeah. And then, and then we'll get into some websites that I have and, and all that fun stuff. And we'll get to see how you feel. Um, North node. So North node is actually something I learned very recently when it comes to astrology. And I definitely think it's one of the cooler parts of the chart. So North node and South node, your South node is to find your South node. It's the sister sign of your North node. So if your North node is an air sign, the sister sign is a fire sign. And if your North node is an earth sign, the sister sign is a water sign and vice versa. So if you're a water sign, it's earth, fire, air. Um, so your South node is mistakes that your past lives have made. And your North Node is life lessons that you're supposed to learn in this lifetime that your past life lifetimes did not learn. And for yours, Dr. Julia, it's the you have a North Node in Libra. So Libra energy is is Libras are a balance scale. That's what they're that's what the image is. So for you, you you need to find this need for balance, whether whether it comes to work, relationships everything you need to have because you're yeah. saying that that's the mistake i made in a past life i was unbalanced in a past life yes yes so in a past life because for you since your north node is in libra your south node is in aries so aries are very ambitious and very like flamboyant personalities and with that there's a lot of unbalance when it comes to that energy when when not you know like when you don't take the time to self-reflect and learn more about yourself so in this lifetime you're supposed to learn you're supposed to learn through like your mistakes and stuff and really do a lot of self self-reflection and learn that balance scale finding the balance in all phases of your life so that was something that i, that I really wanted to highlight because i was like that i was like yeah like the north nodes in libra so it's the balance in everything not just not just work not just in one phase so it's between work relationships and even with yourself you, that need for balance is something that you're supposed to learn a lot in this lifetime that in the past that has not happened um mm -hmm. but as i was describing your chart what are some things that you really that really caught your eye so gosh you've given me so much to think about okay so let's talk about let's start with like the low-hanging fruit so taurus and stubborn so I obviously, like, I, I did know that I, I think everybody knows their Zodiac. So I did know that I was a Taurus and I did know the Taurus was a bull and the bull is stubborn. I am intense. Like, I think like you're saying like that kind of, but I don't know that I'm stubborn. Like, is that, is, what do you think about that? So how are Tauruses generally 
maybe they're stubborn and they are not aware of it, or maybe my interpretation of stubbornness isn't exactly right. So in my mind, there's a difference between being intense. Like I'm so lit up about this project. I definitely want to have this conversation. Oh my gosh, let's think about this. Like that's, but I don't know that if someone's like, we, I have to, it ha- cause when I think of stubborn, I think it has to be my way. Mm-hmm. And my way is the only way. And I don't know that, that I agree with that about myself. I got plenty of other flaws, but <laughs> I don't know that, that I know that. So t- talk to me about, cause you said you're a Taurus. So talk mm-hmm. to me about stubbornness. Well, yeah, I, I definitely think when it, when it comes to Taurus energy overall, and like, this is why I like your full chart because there's a lot of different different aspects to it so like one Taurus might be more stubborn than the other Taurus and I think for you like your Pisces energy like it brings more of an emotional understanding for other people so you can be a lot less stubborn so pretty much like when it when it comes to like stubbornness we all have our beliefs you know and what we really believe in with some things we might it, it, it might even be as small like for me for instance like in my relationship i have a very specific way in how i clean things like i need to have things clean and i need to have it orderly sometimes okay and okay. and some of my friends are very just like they'll just leave stuff all over the place they'll you know what i mean and i'm just like no like this is the proper way to clean and take care of yourself and they're like it'll still get done it'll just get done an hour later or something and like for me like i will continue that same argument until they actually change it that's like an example like it doesn't have to be like so serious it can be as small like for me i get in a lot of arguments with people over just little things like whether that's like the remote or not the remote like what tv shows to watch i'm like hey like this is my show it's been my show ever since i'm little and they're like oh well this show's not good i'm like excuse me like how like that's how i feel when people talk bad about spongebob so like that's what i mean by like stubbornness it doesn't have to be like your serious beliefs to like obviously like what you do for a profession and for a work it can be as small things like food how like how do you cook something how do you do that you know like that's pretty much when people call Tauruses stubborn that's pretty much how it is like they usually tend to like argue over some like when they don't believe in something they, it, it can take some time to convince them to believe it that's that's pretty much what the stubbornness right, yeah. aspect is okay I got that so that one resonated with me and I think the one I think gosh isn't this the truth like struggling with balance right mm-hmm. so especially I have really young kids and I love my work and there's people in my family who are sick. Um, So there's just like a lot of how do you balance? And then obviously, you know, when you work with trauma, there's always more, there's always more ways to serve. And um, my faith is a very big part of my life. So I really feel like I'm, I'm put on this planet to serve. So how do you, how do you balance, you know, like I was saying about the cup, like serving others, who are you serving, taking care of yourself. So geez, I don't know what I did in a past life, but like, I could definitely, I, I would not be disappointed if I got more balance in my life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and I definitely think as you grow older and stuff, you start to realize like even moments when you were little, like finding that balance now is something that you've really realized is very important in your life. And I mean, like there's, there's like two other charts, but for this podcast, I like to start with like the basic understanding. Um, cause there's a chart where like, as you grow older, some things in your chart from like the chart you were born with change. 
And then there's like your soul chart. So those are like the three charts. And I can send you, if you're more interested into it, Dr. Julie, I can send you a bunch of links and stuff after we record. And because uh, it's very interesting. I always like, I, I like to view astrology as another tool in the toolbox to help understand ourselves. Um, it's not fully 100% accurate, you know, but it, but if you combine all the resources to really help and understand yourself, you become a better you become you grow more as a person and you understand yourself more. Um, but before we wrap up, uh, this website is called thehoroscope.co. Um, a bunch of women they teamed up, and pretty much what it is is like you now that you have your regular chart, Doctor Julia. Um, the next step is to just Google your sun and moon, and this is what I do for everybody. And it's called thehoroscope.co, and it's based off of just your sun and moon signs. So these, so this team of women they teamed up together and they do little readings based off of what your sun and moon sign is so for you dr julia you're reading you are a taurus sun with a pisces moon and it says a protective personality gentle and kind the taurus sun pisces moon personality is a great reader of people however many will try to take advantage of their tolerant nature positives and negatives and perfect partner advice for your sign so positives very reflective fair and compassionate negatives can be a little bit too critical at times perfect partner someone who is gentle and allows them their space to dream and word of advice for your sun and moon combination be careful with some of the dreams you are trying to follow so as so as i give you a little reading of positives negatives perfect partner and advice what are some thoughts that come to mind so actually, you know what? You would ask me this earlier and I gave an answer, which I still stand by, but I have a better answer and you just kind of nailed it. What I, so I'm married the, and the thing that I, I, there's a lot of like about my husband, right? It's usually how it goes. Um, he, I, freedom, freedom is my number one value. I think that it's, it's that for a lot of people, the way that I experience love is actually through by people giving me freedom. And for other relationships I've had in my life with other really lovely people, you can imagine that for some people that doesn't feel like love to them. It feels like distance. So I, you know, I, for example, I did a lot of international work. I did a lot of international humanitarian aid. I've worked all over the globe in a lot of, a lot of conflict and trauma zones. So I, I always liked to travel. I liked to create. I've liked to, um, so when you said like, I need a, a partner who I would say, if I had to say two things about my husband, um, he's very gentle and he, he definitely allows me to, he's an engineer. So, right. So like I'm more, let's talk about emotion and he's much more, let's talk about, you know, details, but I'm a scientist by training. He's an engineer by training. So that's kind of the Venn diagram. I think we both can be accurate and precise at the same time. So I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Dr. Julian as well. And once we are done our conversation, I can send you all the links and stuff so you can get a more deeper reading with all that stuff. Um, but overall, Dr. Julia, again, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's really been powerful. And I, I really think a lot of our listeners can take what you've taught and what you're teaching and instilling and grow from that. Um, but where can everybody check out your work? And uh, I know you have a new book coming up too. I do. Yeah. So the best place to find me is like most people these days on social media. So real simple. I'm on Facebook at Dr. Julia DeGange. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Julia DeGange. And I'm on LinkedIn at Dr. Julia DeGange. So the book I'm writing is how to really think about 
our leadership and our emotional power in our own life. Now, the one thing I want to say about leadership is it shows up everywhere. Leadership does not just mean I'm running a 10,000 person company. Who, who I become every day is my leadership. Who am I in my home? Who am I with my children? Who am I with my friends? Who am I, I you know, you mentioned going to grad school. Who am I as a student? Who am I as a scholar? Who am I as an employee? Who am I as a boss? This is the energy of leadership. And I really talk about something called the neuroenergetics, the neuroenergetics of leadership. So how do we think about energy in our life in a way that allows us to have the most powerful, expansive, and pleasurable life? So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, definitely check me out on social media at Dr. Julia DeGanchi. Perfect. And all the links that you said, Dr. Julia, will be in the show description as well. So you guys can check that out and all that fun stuff. But Dr. Julia, it's been a pleasure and a great time meeting you and having a great conversation. Um, And please stay safe. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. It was really fun.